0: Rusty Quill Presents. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS.
1: a storm rolled into Lanula Park and covered the mansions of Park Row, a pretzel boy stood out on the widow's walk of Lavendula. It was a pretzel boy who lived in the attic, sleeping in a nook long into the mornings, contorting himself into corners, into all kinds of shapes and angles throughout the day. He'd gotten quite good at meeting the shape of just about anything, fitting himself into rafters and steamer trunks, and even a large basin left over from the old kitchen. He was a pretzel boy, and his name was Percy. Percy was born to a cabinet maker, and mother who died in childbirth. His father resented him and burdened every day, every command, every word or sigh with a layer of it, with spite, "'poisoning every day between swings of the wood hammer "'against his tools, muttering under his breath, "'barely looking at the boys, he moved around the furniture shop, "'shop that sat among the sections of shops, "'owned by the tradesmen's on the windy, narrow streets "'off from the warehouse district, "'far from the shops of finery. "'Percy was born double-jointed "'and used that double-jointedness "'to hide in the cabinets his father crafted, "'escaping his father's drunken wrath "'until his father would settle at his stool,' pass out on the workbench, chisels slipping out to the floor from his heavy hand. Percy would slip out onto the streets as the sun was setting, and spend time with the shoeless and tattered children, the baker's apprentice, the flower and Duncan match girls, the newsies from the lantern paper. They would trade snacks and play games as the light faded to dusk, and home lamps lit over boiling pots in the tight tenements above the shops From the few friends he'd made out on the streets, he discovered he was a bit different. That the way his thumb bent back or the way his arms could wind up behind him farther than the others was an astonishment, and his double-jointedness drew attention from onlookers. And he developed a bit of an act. A couple of the louder boys would bring in a crowd and hawking the bendy boy, and he would earn a few pennies at his wondrous thumbs and knees and shoulders. One evening, as he collected a few coins from his hat he spotted a series of wheat paste posters on the side of a building. Under the flaking paint and lime, the Bodin and his amazing coterie, a performing clown troupe, newly featured at the Celestial Seaside Amusement Park. He'd never been. His father was not for such things, and he never had the money for such frivolous expenditures. His father was barely able to keep up with the new factory crafts, and was subsisting on previous customers' loyalty as it was. He stared at the torn poster every day. Bright colors, clowns, and acrobats. A girl standing on a champagne bottle. And he dreamed of the circus, of being a contortionist like the one on the poster. On a warm afternoon, his father sent him to fetch some mother-of-pearl inlays for a special magician's cabinet. And it sent him uptown to an expensive shop through the theater district with its lights and posters and busy crowds. That day, a street performer troupe set up on the walkway, and a contortionist bent himself over backwards. He put his head between his legs and waved at the crowd. And then ever so slowly, he placed himself in a small cage, smaller than any person could possibly fit. First an arm, and then a shoulder, and a leg, and then a head, and the rest. And another man came and carefully placed a padlock on that cage. The crowd cheered and filled their hats with coins and even a few bills. Percy was amazed. Heart racing, he ran to the shop, bought the Mother of Pearl, and spent the whole way back replaying the routine over and over and over in his mind. He added his own poses to it so it would flow together. He practiced silently at night, his father snoring away in the bed, Percy on the floor, quietly going from position to position. He was going to develop a full act of his own. His father stopped caring where he was when the shop wasn't open. Percy saved up his coins from the street performing until he'd had enough for a ticket and perhaps a treat as he ran a comb through his hair, dressed in his best waistcoat and the trousers with only one patch at the knee, dusted the sawdust from his shoes and got them a shine from his friend making sure to tip. He took a marigold from the flower girl and placed it in his buttonhole and strutted down the streets in the morning sun to the warm, wet air of the Celestial Seaside Amusement Park. He bought a ticket at the booth and joined the stream of well-groomed families and young couples going through the turnstile and down the boardwalk. It was almost too much to take in. The characters, the balloon man with a giant bunch in wild colors and shapes, a water tank in an arcade midway, and the new scary face-peeler roller coaster. Percy looked over the map and found the large performance tent that the Bodin and his coterie headlined. And in the time until the show, he wandered the park and followed the delightful smells to the food midway, where he couldn't possibly decide what to eat. He settled on a pretzel, something not too filling, and the chance he could attempt in some way his impromptu audition for the Baudin. He pointed at the plumpest one, still warm, sprinkled in salt and mustard. The vendor handed it to him, but before he could tear off a bite, a little clown ran up to him, tooting a small whistle. The clown, only as tall as Percy's waist, did a cartwheel. Percy laughed, and then bent over backwards to show his flexibility. The clown seemed impressed. The clown ran up and kicked him lightly in the shin, mimed a giggle, and snatched his pretzel away. <laughs> Percy chased the clown through the food midway, out through some travelers' tents, and into a darkened area. When Percy looked up, he didn't seem to be in an area of the park he could recognize. And then, A sack over his head, and his hands bound, his pretzel dropping to the ground, was hoisted over the shoulder of a very large man, carried away. He could hear the sound of lapping waves, and people talking, and the sound of some instruments, a piccolo. He was thrown on his back and tied to something. After a little while, he could hear a girl tied up next to him. And she wouldn't stop talking. Oh, hey, fella. Suppose you're tied up too, eh? Have you seen my friend Cooper? You suppose this is some sort of ride or secret show? A girl named Jules. I'm Jules. What's your name, fella? Their hoods were removed. Percy was face to face with a giant octopus. She slapped him in the face with a tentacle. Its suckers smeared his facial features and smeared a substance that filled in the other parts and hardened quickly, making his face completely flat and smooth with just tiny imperceptible holes for eyes, nose, and a mouth, a perfect canvas for the Baudin and his artful makeup. The Walker sisters Cooper and Cornelia smuggled Percy out of the park and off into the attic of Lavendula, where he stayed. Cooper and Cornelia called him the Pretzel Boy, but quickly changed it to Percy after he scribbled it with some chalk on a board. They mixed his clothes in with the other laundry, but a curious pumble demanded a quick explanation and they ended up dressing him in their mother's old clothing from the trunks in the attic. On one occasion, Viola went digging up there, and Percy surprised her, giving her such a fright she almost had a heart attack. The girls reassured their mother she must have looked into an old mirror in the dim light, and it was not, in fact, a stranger wearing her old clothes. A widow's walk, also known as a roof walk, is an area on top of a mansion A platform with a railing built for viewing. So named for places near the water where wives would wait for their husbands to return from the sea. Lavendula had such a platform on its very highest point. Percy would hide in the nooks and crannies of the attic during the day, but would slip out at night and stand on the widow's walk looking over the black pond and the houses of Park Row. He watched the last people wander through the park, he especially liked the penny farthings and dreamed of riding one around the pond. He'd look into the windows of the neighboring mansions of Mulberry and Holland House to watch Edmund Green late in his office, or Agatha Fulcrum stare out her bedroom window with a glass of sherry. On darker nights, Percy would tiptoe out on the rafter tail like the bowsprit of a ship, perfectly balanced, walking back and forth on the balls of his feet. And on that evening, sky darkened. Heavy clouds rolled in in a wet storm, Percy wearing Viola's anniversary dress. A dress made from light lavender fabric, with a slight sheen, with a fitted bodice and a scoop neckline, puffy sleeves that gathered at the shoulder, a wide-band waist that was flat and smooth, and a skirt gathered in full with a slight flare at the hem. A long-matching satin scarf, Percy held out, it flaring out its full length and flapping a tail in the wind. He thought of the moment under the coaster. Garrow and Cooper. They thought of escaping Lavendula. Considered a life on the streets, begging. people running before His father would never recognize him or help anyway. He considered returning to the seaside to find the Bodin and join his troop. It seemed the only way. Through the storm, Percy heard the faint organ moan from houses away. And that night, someone must have left a window open as he heard the faintest of screams. Prissy leapt from the rooftop, crossed the rain-slick roofs, padded across the emerald glass panes of halide House's solarium, and wet lizard, and peered over the topiary, the glowing kitchen window of the Bridwell House. Sure enough, someone had left the kitchen window open, just enough for a pretzel boy to slip through. Prissy hesitated, then heard another scream, and shimmyed down the side of the house, around the bushes, to just under the open window. And feet in the mud. There, just at the edge of golden light from the window, standing at the edge of the shadow, was a girl in a black trilby and long ash coat, holding a sad looking X-shaped doll. She looked at Percy and his flat, formless face. I have for she said. Percy nodded. You get Viola, and I'll get the peacock. Sound good? Percy again nodded. She's got a mean shovel, and a meaner coal finger. Look out for both. Percy formed himself into the shape of a step, so Maisie can climb over him into the window. Mighty kind of you. Maisie held up the doll. "'This is Mr. Fitz,' she introduced him. "'She held Fitz up to the window and turned him left and right to look over the kitchen. "'See anything?' she asked the doll. "'Good,' she said. "'It stepped up on Percy, slipped through the open window silently, "'landing in the sink on the other side. "'Percy slipped in just after her, and Maisie stopped to listen. "'Find the peacock!' Maisie split right, heading towards the children's quarters. Percy ducked down to the floor level and crawled left towards the front parlor. In the parlor, Brittleteeth had finished her seance and was now on the hunt for the peacock plum, the key to the Walker fortune. Colson, you heard the ghost? Catch that plum! Don't harm it! Get your sack! Mmm, I'll get the bird. I'll handle Viola. Back to the underground for you, pretty. Into the hall so you can stay missing. Percy climbed up the hallway wall and pressed into the ceiling, arms and legs secured, looking down like a spider. Brianna yanked Viola off the table, dragged her into the hallway as Colson left to look for the bird. As Colson passed the hallway, Viola dropped to the ground, exhausted and weak riddled teeth dragging her with busted chains. Percy made a clicking sound with his mouth. As Brianna looked up, he dropped from the ceiling. Brianna and Viola both shrieked at a giant, faceless spider, dressed in Viola's anniversary dress, dropping down on both of them from above. (laughs) Maisie followed the sound of bird footsteps, felt along the wall, and discovered the hidden button that led her way through the special door. Down the steps to the underground. She passed many empty cells, just like back at Ludlow. Echoes of suffering. She'd been here before. The walls of the Sato Voce might have fallen, but in the depths, she could still hear the faint cries of Katerina. Could still feel the dying heartbeat of it. The cells were strangely quiet. The children moved to the sleeping quarters for the evening. Maisie got to the end of Viola's cell was too empty I know Fitz where did Plum go that bird is impossible to track she turned back to head upstairs and at the end of the hall back towards the door she saw the blue green feathers of Plum the peacock looking back at her with its head slightly cocked. Plum padded up the steps Maisie took a few steps to follow from one of the cells, almost silently, a little girl in a green cloak, hood, and a porcelain mass swept out into the hallway between them, rushing a broom against the stone. Maisie had seen her before in the park. as Brianna came and went from Bridewell House, always at her side. She'd watched her drive the motor car, Black Volga, while Cullfinger did his nasty work. New addition to the Teeth family since Ludlow. Maisie watched her sweep, listened to her movements, and something. Something was just a little familiar. I know you. I, I know you. Maisie looked at Mr. Fitz. No, it can't be. No, Fitz, it can't be. She's. Ivy Anna? Maisie called down the hall. Vienna. The girl picked her head up. Her big eyes looked out of the white porcelain mask. She chattered her teeth slightly. Maisie saw it. Saw the heavy scarring just around the edges of the mask. Vienna. it can't be. We saw you die. We saw you fall into a vat of lye, cold fingers chain. The little girl flipped the broom over. She plucked out a single piece of straw. Held it up between them in her tiny fingers. Breath. Two. Then the straw began to smoke. And then lit on fire. The eyes behind the mask blinked and narrowed. She flicked the lit straw and spun around, and ran up the stairs. Iviana! Maisie chased after her and stopped midway in the hallway. top hat flopped down the stairs onto the floor. Coulson shuffled across the stone, dressed in his dark suit and tails, dragging his heavy sack and ready for snatching. He scraped off, the nail the mm, I remember you. I never forget a little one. Grabbed you right out of your room. Plucked his top hat off the ground, it on his arm top of his head. And as he stood, a swirl of ash and smoke surrounded him. His eyes darkened as embers roiled and Coulson became Culfinger. Smoke and ash filled the hallway. You and your little friend took my sight. But that's okay. I can sniff out the children all the same. Now I'm gonna take a little something back. He beckoned towards the sack as he moved towards Maisie. Nowhere to hide this time. The palsy plagues my pulses. When I prig, your prigs are pulling. Your culvers take, or matchless make. Your scent declare sullen. I'm not the same girl as then, Colfinger. I've met ghosts and parasites and fiends and witches since I met you. You're not the scariest thing out in the night. I've learned new tricks. Mm, but the damn that's just... Maisie froze as Colfender approached. Colson! Riddle Teeth yelled down the stairs. The peacock! Colson! What are you waiting for? Mm, lucky little one. I have your scent. I'll find you yet. Cold finger stepped back into the dark ash cloud and vanished up the stairs. I wasn't sure that was going to work, eh, Fitz? Maisie looked at the doll as she removed a small voice-throwing device from her mouth. might not work twice, but we have to find Plum, quickly. The front door of Bridewell House burst open with a strong blast from the storm wind, whipping coats and papers from the parlor into the hall. Plum ran past the tangled mess of the hallway, out into the night rain. Percy reached for him, but Brianna knocked him sideways with a shovel. Viola was able to wrap her chains around Vianna's throat. She began to choke. With what strength she had left, she pulled her back to the ground. You want some soup, Vivi? I'll choke you. <laughs> Viola rolled over, and Percy grabbed Bertilte's massive keyring and frantically searched for a key to the shackles. Maisie made it upstairs, grabbed the keys from Percy, gave them a shake and listened, and plucked the correct one out, shoved it into the shackles, releasing Viola as Brianna choked, dentures falling out onto the hall rug. Viola stood, hoisted her nightdress, and ran out in the night after Plum. From the back quarters, Coalfinger in his top hat and coat, Vianna, the suit daughter, in a small, quiet room well-groomed, dead-eyed children. Percy and Maisie backed away slowly, out the front door, into the rain, onto the sopping wet lawn of Bridewell House. The children surrounded Brianna, helped her to sit, and placed her spittle-dripping dentures. A look of vile anger and vengeance in her eyes, Cole Finger and the children advanced on Maisie and Percy. But Brianna held up a hand. She pointed at the door. The dead-eyed boys walked to the front door, pushed it closed. Just as little teeth muttered, Get the car. Percy and Maisie stood together on the front lawn of Bridewell House. Viola, in her nightdress, chasing after Plum into the park. And the soaked brick of Bridewell House, shut with a foyer of smoke and ash and bitter spite. The low guttural sound of the Black Volga roaring to life in the rain. A dark chase was about to begin. raindrops sliding down his flat face. We have to find that peacock, she said. Percy nodded. Say, you're pretty quiet, and you can squeeze into small spaces. I think I just might have a job for you.